Welcome into Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf and Gavin Shaw here, and it's NBA Finals time. The matchup has officially been locked in. And so, Gavin, we are going to go over the two finals teams and what they have that maybe the Knicks should strive to have. Yeah, you know, elite shooting, physicality, versatility on defense, team IQ, cohesion, coaching, all categories that maybe the Knicks have, maybe the Knicks lack, but we'll describe what you need to win a championship in the modern NBA right now on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. All right, welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. And we want to thank you guys for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day, whether you're taking us in on your favorite podcast platform or if you're checking out our beautiful smile and faces every day on YouTube. And I am Alex Wolf. I'm editor-in-chief of Knicks site, The Strickland, which you can find at thestrick.land. He is Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster's favorite play-by-play broadcaster. And Gavin, I will just throw it right to you, dude, uh, as far as we're getting into the qualities of championship caliber teams and obviously we have the golden state warriors and boston celtics now locked in as the two nba finals team and and we wanted to sort of uh get into what makes them tick and how the knicks can get there hopefully within the next number of years yeah so we we figured we'd do this as a two-parter and in this episode just kind of look at the qualities the Warriors and the Celtics have and the next episode get into what the Knicks already have, which may be a little bit more than you think in, in terms of some of these categories um, and what they still need to get to become an NBA champion, because obviously they're still very far away from that. So this stuff gets a little tricky whenever you look at it on a one-year basis, right? Because those flukes, I mean, this year you could say whatever happened to the Suns was sort of crazy. Like obviously in the East, if Chris Middleton isn't hurt, um, if, if the Nets get a full season out of uh, Kyrie Irving, maybe that was never going to happen. Who knows? Maybe the Celtics aren't in the championship. Maybe the Warriors aren't in the championship. But uh, luck is certainly one of these categories, but not one we're going to go over because you can't really control it. All that being said, uh, the first thing I went to, Alex, was elite shot making. I think that is that is sort of the great separator. Um, I mean, really throughout all of NBA history, but particularly in the modern NBA, because scouting has gotten so good. Defenses have gotten so good. I thought this postseason in particular was sort of a, a signifier of, of how much physicality is allowed in the modern NBA and what a joke it is sort of when, when retired players say like, oh, back in my day, these guys wouldn't have survived. Like these playoffs have been extremely physical, extremely brutal, and, and, and they feature such a high level of coaching defensively, which again is something we'll get into down the road. You need guys who can just make the, the hardest shots in the world. And, and these two teams certainly have that. Like I'd argue Steph Curry and Jason Tatum are up there with, almost anyone in NBA history in this category, like Steph, I would say arguably like right there with Kevin Durant. And like, I mean, obviously you can, you can go through the list, but right there with Kevin Durant for maybe the best of all time in this category. And I think Tatum has reached those elite marks where you watched late in that fourth quarter, he's hitting threes, like with his foot, basically half out of bounds, like fading away 
off balance, like fadeaways, like tricky shots around the rim through contact. Steph, I don't really need to describe. You already know he's ridiculous. The thing with the Warriors, though, is they have this in spades. It's not just Steph. Even Clay in a diminished form still makes shots that only a couple other guys on earth can. Jordan Poole is just flat out like one of the best shooters on planet earth. And I don't know if the entire world like realizes that, but he, he he's sort of that guy. Jalen Brown isn't someone who would typically get mentioned in this kind of category, but just has an elite mid range game. And when I, again, when I look at these teams and when you, when you go through an NBA history, that's sort of the first thing that stands out to me, like guys who can do that. And um, not that we're going to focus on the Knicks in this episode, but last 25 years, I think even going back to Knicks final teams, you could say almost last 30 years of Knicks basketball, They've had maybe one guy who could do this in Carmelo Anthony. Yeah, I, I think that's totally reasonable. I think you noted in, a, in our notes, maybe that half season of Amari Stoudemire too, where he was playing like an MVP. But like, again, that that just underscores how small the sample size is of guys that the Knicks have had like this. And it really is the staple of, I mean, this is these are the type of guys that every single team wants, right? And I'm I was trying to think like, who was the last like NBA champion or even just NBA champion hopeful that didn't have a guy like that. And you might have to go all the way back to like the early 2000s Detroit Pistons. Um, You know, as far as they sort of just had a, like a well-oiled machine of a team, but even them like Chauncey Billups, like made some really tough shots. Um, Rip Rip Hamilton, you know, yeah, he was, he was great moving off the ball, movement shooting, stuff like that and making tough shots that way. Um, Tayshaun Prince, you know, was able to do that. I mean, Maybe that that was the last team that had like non super elite uh, shot making like that, and and was just just simply had good guys that you know maybe are on the level of like like pool or whatever like what you're just saying, but like it, you know pool is so good that it's it even that even feels a little a little off you know to make that comparison you know, and so yeah it's like the Knicks really need that and it, it, the problem is is that those guys are so hard to get. Like you either have to, you have to tank properly or get really lucky, as you said. You know, it's impossible to factor luck into these things, but it's it's also sort of impossible to not once again bring up that you know the Knicks have had a, a number of decent stabs in the the draft lottery and stuff, and have never lucked out and gotten that number one pick. So they've never been able to get that guy at the top of the draft that can become you know one of these guys it, because most of them. I, I would say by and large are like are like top three picks, except for, you know, a, a handful of guys. Obviously, Jimmy Butler, who we just saw, was not, you know, a, a early first round pick. Um, maybe Emmanuel quickly en- ends up like that, uh, you know, as a late first round pick that sort of blossoms into a tough shot maker. I still question a little bit of his like shot release and stuff will allow him to get stuff off in such small windows like you see from some of these most elite guys. Um, but we'll see, you know, we'll see how things go. But I think without question, like, you're totally right. That, that is like the number one thing that teams need, because when it comes down to it, when you think about all the biggest moments in the finals over the last X number of years, it's like Durant pulling up and hitting daggers. It's, you know, uh, Steph Curry hitting big threes down the stretch of, of this playoffs, you know, doing the, the go to sleep, uh, celebration, you know, it's, it's like Kyrie Irving. Uh, you know, hitting the big shot for the Cavs down the stretch. You know, there's just countless big moments in big games that you just need guys that can do that. And the Knicks don't have that guy. And I think maybe we tricked ourselves a little bit into thinking Julius Randle was that last year. 
because there certainly were times during the regular season and empty gyms where he looked like that. Uh, but this year obviously proves, you know, that they're still pretty far away from having that player on the team. And it, it's going to take, I don't want to say a minor miracle, but, you know, it's going to take something big happening for them to end up with that guy because it is the most premium skill set in the NBA. Yeah, and I would say the tool that goes hand-in-hand hand with it is advantage creation. Normally, if you're an elite shot maker, you inherently have advantage creation because teams have to close on you so hard or just play you so up on every part of the court. I mean, I think that's what Steph's superpower is, right? He has to be guarded 30 feet out, and he's one of the quickest dudes in the league. So when you're guarding him 30 feet out, there's just there's no way to keep him in front. And that applies to Poole. That applies to someone like Clay. even. Like Clay, I think, without his shot, would not be someone who could get to the rim against NBA defender, maybe at his athletic prime, but currently after the injuries, I don't think it'd be someone who could get to the rim consistently, but because he can threaten from 30 feet out, you see him get back cuts all the time for layups and you, you see him dribble for layup. And what that does is like, it, it, it puts the defense right in, in, in a tailspin and they start getting into rotations. And that's when you can make the pass, make the next pass, make the next pass. And that's how you get guys like Grant Williams or an Otto Porter or an Andrew Wiggins who normally against the best defenses in the world, I mean, maybe you could maybe put Wiggins in a different category, but they wouldn't be that effective, right? Because they're just not great creators. But when they play with great creators, then all of a sudden you you get open shots from those guys and you get guys who can just take two dribbles and hit a pull-up or take two dribbles and make the next pass across the court for an open three-pointer. And this was, a, this was everything we were getting into last time we talked to you guys with PD. How did they find this guy in the draft? Does that guy even exist in the draft and they're not all that common, but I look at both these teams and, and the Warriors have it again, maybe like the all time example of it in a Steph Curry and the Celtics, they don't have like the traditional, like break you down, like point guard or even wing necessarily though, though Tatum and Brown have gotten a lot better in that category, but just collectively, they have a lot of ball handling across the board. Like Tatum is very, very good at this point. Jalen has an inconsistent handle, but he can beat you with like one or two dribble moves really well. Uh, Marcus Smart, I think, is underrated as a ball handler. Derek White off the bench is solid. And all their bigs outside of Robert Williams, like Al Horford and Grant Williams, can handle it well for those positions. So I think it's a combination of either having like one or two elite guys like the Warriors do, plus Draymond and Clay, or just having like a collective depth of dribbling that you really need, again, against the best defenses in the world in conjunction with that shot making. Yeah, I agree, and uh, I, I think there's no uh, no mistaking that there's some things worth betting on with these two teams in the finals. And this is where I remind you guys that today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball scores, fights, and even next season's NFL futures. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. Uh, and I tell you what, I just got some, some new odds while we're talking about the finals here. We have the Golden State Warriors. Man, these odds are getting wonky this time of year. Uh, the Warriors are a uh, 20 to 31 favorite to beat the Celtics, uh, if I'm reading this correctly. I, I'm not the most seasoned uh, gambler here, but that sounds about right to me. Um, so they are favorites to beat the Celtics. There's even uh, correct series scores. So how many games it's going to go and who's going to win in that. Uh, uh, hey, why not? Take a uh, Warriors sweep at 12 to 1. 
maybe it'll work out for you. I don't know. I mean, it's it's entirely possible. So all kinds of great bets that you can make right now at betonline.net. And uh, you can head to the website today or use your mobile devices to learn more about the trends in action. Bet online where the game starts. And after you're done checking out this show, make sure to go check out Locked On NBA Big Board. Host Rafael Barlow from NBA Draft Junkies and author of the NBA Big Board Newsletter is joined by Richard Stamen, Sam Ferris, and Leif Thulin, giving fans an in-depth look into the NBA Draft, Mock Draft, Player Rankings, and of course, Big Boards. It's free and available wherever you get podcasts. Spoiler alert, Rafael might be joining us on the show again soon because I loved having him on last time. And uh, we've got a lot of things to talk about right now as far as the Knicks and the draft. But Gavin, to get back into our discussion about uh the finals and the two finals teams what's another thing that you think that the warriors and celtics have that is something that the knicks could strive to have if they want to hopefully someday reach the upper echelon yes i noted it earlier i I think it's i think it's their defenses and this is it's kind of interesting right because it almost all these things like alex i remember in the past like you always used to like reference like uh 2k sliders in terms of individual players like I look at it when I'm looking at qualities in these championship teams, I'm looking at it almost as like, like sliding scale for all these. Like if you have a little more advantage creation, you need a little less defense. You have a little less advantage creation. You need a little bit more defense. And I think Boston trends a little bit more towards the defense because they have the best defensive personnel. I think in modern NBA history, the closest thing I think is, are those all time warriors teams where they had clay, Iggy, Draymond and Durant who are just like four, like all time elite perimeter guys. Um, and, but Boston has that one through five size and IQ and tenacity and physicality. And you need all those things, right? I mean, the ability to throw Marcus Smart, who even you could fairly argue was somewhat undeserving of being defensive player of the year, top 10 defender in the NBA, right off the bat, Jason Tatum has turned himself into a monster on the defensive end. And I think when when people, when people talk about him as a top five, top 10 guy, and some people are dubious of it, I think they take that fact for granted that he He's just, he's just difficult to deal with, with his size and wingspan and focus and, and how smart he is at this point. Robert Williams, fully healthy, very similar to what Mitchell Robinson brought, I think, before he gained weight. Just incredible shot blocker, solid switchability, just a real force around the rim. And it's particularly how the Celtics have used him, which is sort of as like a rover and kind of like a hybrid man zone look. He's absolutely deadly. Horford, super smart. Grant Williams, as good as anyone at guarding Giannis in the NBA, like physical, bulky. Um, and then you can flip over to the Warriors, and they don't—they don't have the same depth that Boston does defensively. But they have Draymond Green, who, who's sort of like a one-man top-five defense, right? Like, like just smart, fit, I, smart, smart's understating it. He's—he's he's the smartest defensive basketball player I've ever seen, and I think he—he he gets everyone in the right spots and just gives them so much confidence on that end. And then Wiggins was was just huge for them because he. Look, Luca still averaged what 35, 36 for the series, but having just a six foot eight, like big, strong wing to throw at people makes such a big difference. And and again, if if we're dipping our toes into tomorrow's episode and looking at what the Knicks could still need, like you're hoping a Cam Reddish can turn into that that type of guy. Because outside of that, the Knicks don't really have that on the roster. They have RJ, they have Grimes, who are six five, six six, right? Good size, very physical, but to guard like the elite wings in the NBA, the Lucas, the LeBrons, the Kawhis, the Paul Georges, you need someone even taller. You need someone at those guys' height, 6'8", like 6'9", even maybe, to really bother them. Because if they can see over you and just pick out cutters and, and pick guys going across the lanes, 
it gets really difficult. So you need this combo of like elite defensive personnel. I don't know, I'll, I'll frame it, Alex, and I, I don't know if, if you'd agree with this terminology, but like elite defensive personality, I think. Like you, you got to have that edge. And the Knicks, like to their credit, the second half of this year brought some of that back. Obviously, last year that was sort of the defining characteristic of this team. But it's, I think it's very hard to find those two things in conjunction with guys that can still survive on the floor offensively. Yeah, here's here's something interesting that I was just thinking about because I agree. Like I think, and, and I I think that these two teams and most of the teams that were that were still in the playoffs, you know, through the you could probably even say the last two rounds uh, leading up to this, were mostly teams that that can switch and have versatile defenders and you know are, are able to approach the game defensively that way the Knicks have not approached it that way the last couple of years and yet have still had a really really good defense like statistically I wonder a little bit if though like if the Tibbs style of defense the you know don't try to switch you know try to get under picks you know or, or whatever like try to um you know, like funnel guys into the middle, you know, like stick with your man at all costs, that sort of thing. I wonder if that defense is, is still viable to get you to the mountaintop anymore. You know, like it kind of seems like to me, based off the last two seasons of sample size now, that that form of defense can work well during the regular season. But then once you hit the postseason with the, as we just talked about in the last segment, the, the most elite shot makers that, can punish you if you're not, you know, if you're not getting someone switched on to them the second that they have a millimeter of space when they're at the peak of their powers at the end of the season, when they've spent all year warming up and now are in the the best possible time playing with the most motivation, you know, of the whole year to try to win a championship. I, I don't know if, if the Tibbs style of defense is viable. Like, how do you, what do you think about that? As far as, you know, can the Knicks, if they, let's say that they manage to, get the perfect personnel to run the sort of defense that Tibbs has been running the last couple of years to, you know, top 10 success. I mean, they were a top three defense, you know, last year. And then this past season were like down the stretch, they were one of the top three defenses, like after the all-star break, I think overall they settled in around top 10 ish. Um, but like, I just don't get that confidence off the Knicks defense that they could get deep in the playoffs, even with perfect personnel. I, I, I don't know. How do you feel about that? I I think I kind of disagree, but I'm not, I, I honestly, I'm, I, it's so hard, right? Because his defense is untested against the modern NBA in that setting, because the last time he got that far was 11 years ago with the Bulls, right? Or, or, or 12 years ago with the Bulls. And, and we didn't really get to see it with the Timberwolves, who at points did, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, maybe I'm completely off on this, I think a decent job against the Rockets. Like the bigger issue is they just had a lot of trouble scoring in that series, again, if I'm remembering that correctly. But I don't know. I think Tibbs, like, even though in general he's so stubborn, I think defensively he's so smart that he he would have flexibility and he would have counters, like, baked into what he does. Like my bigger concern would almost be him like deploying personnel correctly and playing the right guys, the right amount of minutes. Um, and right now my bigger concern for the Knicks overall is like, I just, I don't know if they totally have the bodies and we'll get into this in tomorrow's episode. I think they have a bunch of guys, particularly like the, like the three dudes or the three rookies that played for them last year who belong in these types of series, at least on the defensive end of the floor, or, or at least will as they get more and more seasoned in the NBA. But to your point on Tibbs, it, it's so it's just so hard to say. But I don't know. I think what he's done with the Knicks last year and this year 
is just pretty impressive. I mean, you just you just look at what the Knicks personnel. We, we touched on this, I think, in a previous episode. But you look at the Knicks personnel, like you just go like position by position. Outside of center, did they consistently play above average defenders really anywhere? And yet they were like the best defense in basketball, or maybe I'm misremembering top three defense in basketball after the all-star break. Like, I think that's one of the few areas, like I actually do have confidence in Tibbs and I, I do think it translates. Yeah. I, I go back and forth. You know, I think that with like perfect personnel, it could work better. I, I do just wonder though, I feel like we saw so many times this year that even, even not so good teams were able to occasionally just kind of like crack the Tibbs code. Like, for example, and I mean, you know, maybe this was just more Tibbs telling them before the game to play the percentages and then and then not adjusting enough in the game. But I just think back to like even a game like against the Thunder where the Knicks just decided like we're not going to get out on Josh Giddy at all at the three point line. And then he like torched them and he hit like five or six three pointers and stuff remember like that. Ru- Rubio did that, too. Yeah, Rubio did that as well, because it, it seemed like they were just being like, let's just play the percentages. Actually, that happened with a number of players this year. I forgot about Rubio, but I remember that came in the middle of a stretch where a bunch of players did that against the Knicks. It was like every single game. There was a new guy. Miles Turner was one of them where they just kind of decided like, we're not going to stick with him. And, and, you know, it was more to pack the paint and try to do that. But I I just, I worry that in the most key moments, if, if, you know, then you end up with a scenario like when uh, Grant Williams hit the 800 three pointers, you know, like would that just happen against the Knicks routinely in the playoffs, even with the best personnel, because that's just how Tibbs approaches defense. I don't know for sure, but I I do agree. I think to the overarching point, you really need, and I mean, this is why I'm so in love with And we'll be talking about this more in in the next episode where we kind of try to fit all these points to the Knicks a little more, but like, that's why I'm so attracted to uh, someone like Dyson Daniels in the draft, you know, that's like long switchy, presumably can shoot, you know, it's, it's like what you're talking about with, you weigh out the defense with the advantage creation and it's like, okay, well, he's got a lot of work to do on the offensive end, but based off, you know, what we've seen from the late stages of the G league season, plus what we've seen in workouts and stuff seems like his shot is coming along pretty nicely. So if he can hit the three and then play elite switchy defense where he's never going to get punished by anybody, I mean, that, that would be the type of player that I think the Knicks need to go after. And that's sort of similar to, you know, a Grant Williams type, um, or even, I guess, to a sort of a degree, like a Marcus Smart type, you know, like maybe like a couple of years ago, Marcus Smart, that wasn't quite as developed as a shot maker as he's been lately. But, you know, like a guy that can hit some three pointers and maybe make the smart pass on offense, but on defense just is unbreakable by pretty much any position on the floor where you can you could get him switched on to a center and he'll still be able to hold his own just via length and guile and you know, defensive instincts, that's like super, super valuable. And I I definitely think that's one of the things that sets these two teams apart in the finals is that they have tons of those guys uh, that you can deploy. And, you know, they have just a nonstop stream of them that they can keep throwing out there. And, you know, so even if someone gets in foul trouble, you've got a deep enough bench where you can throw another versatile, like three or four position defender out there on a dime that can make sure that your your defense isn't going to fall apart. Uh, during key moments of the game. So uh, I'm totally with you there. Um, but what is what do you think is the next one of the next qualities that, uh, uh, you know, these championship teams have in their championship DNA? Yeah, yeah, you just hit on it. I, th- I think it is that that depth and having like 
it's it's like the the term I would use is is how many guys can hang right like how how many players can you throw out there that will not tank you and and we've seen so many teams go out over the years because their one through three is good enough or their one through four is good enough but five six and seven those ten minutes a game just get you killed right and and you see it as series go along right you play less and less guys and all of a sudden you have Jimmy Butler playing. 45 minutes, then 48 minutes in a game seven, right? Because as you get higher pressure, you're like, crap, I can't afford those 10 minutes of Davis Bertans where we just got absolutely lit up. And that's not fair because he actually he played pretty well for them. But you you, you take my point. Um, and I think both these teams have that to various extents. Like with the Warriors, like I love that they just, they just have this toolbox off their bench, right? They're like, oh, you have a John Morant type guy? We're going to throw Gary Payton on him. Or, or Luca's your best player? We have Andrew Wiggins to send his direction. Um, or like... You, you, you've worn out our main guys. Let's let's hit you with some speed and athleticism and shooting by mixing in a, a Jonathan Kuminga and a Moses Moody, um, or like now that they're healthy, like uh, Andre Iguodala, just 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 someone even at age 38, 39, whatever, however old he is, he can buy you 10 minutes when you need it. Nemanja Bielitsa can come in and make some shots. For Boston, they have less guys, but they have high quality guys like Peyton Pritchard. He's going to get targeted defensively, but. He's gonna he's gonna hit you back on the offensive end. He's gonna drop 18 points in 22 minutes. Uh, Grant Williams, I think, for even though uh, you hear all this stuff about him just being very annoying as a human being, um, he is about as good as it gets as a two-way guy off the bench for the playoffs. Right? Can absolutely hang on defense. Can drain threes on offense. Really smart passer. Maybe not quite as consistent as you'd like offensively, but he brings all that stuff to the table. Derek White, um, I think the reason Boston gave up a first round pick and a pick swap and Josh Richardson for him is because he's the definition of someone who can hang like his shot making may come and go and may frustrate you. But if, if he's the guy you're targeting defensively, you're in a great spot on defense and he, he makes smart pass on offense. He has games where he hits shots where he makes big plays and, and that that's what you're looking for, right? Guys that can hang, but Alex, that, that's kind of a quick one. So I'll, I'll throw it to you for our, our last category here. And to me, that is, t- it's like, I don't know what the collective word is for this, but it's, it's team IQ slash selfishness, unselfishness slash connectivity, like everything those early 2000s Spurs teams had. And to me, that that's sort of the hardest thing to measure, right? Because you look at the Warriors and and they had, they've had Steph Clay and Draymond playing almost a decade together and playing basically an extra two seasons worth of high leverage playoff games. That is unreplicated in the modern NBA. Even the Celtics team that's so young, they've gotten a million reps together. And I think if we look at stuff that the Knicks are missing, that could maybe be the number one thing just because these guys are so far away from getting those kind of reps. And, and frankly, just most of them haven't yet in their career. Yeah. I also think, I think in another thing that could be added onto that too, and sort of goes hand in hand with the overall like team IQ and like symbiosis of a team is the coaching. And you need to have a coach that's going to know when to push the right buttons, when to pull the right threads, you know, what lineups are going to be the best to make a certain thing work. And I, I will say, like, in regards to the Knicks, I think these last three points, and this is maybe sort of foreshadowing what we're going to talk about tomorrow, but, like, these last three points are maybe the things that I think that they're potentially closest to getting. Um, the coaching, obviously, we're well on record. And and honestly, I know that everybody else – well, I shouldn't say everybody else. I've seen some people that I guess just by – lack of proximity to the season now have been sort of softening on Tibbs and just kind of preparing for him, you know, starting next season as the coach and say, well, maybe it could work. Maybe this, maybe that. 
I still staunchly am like, I, I really would prefer he not be the coach next year. And I really don't think he's going to be the right coach to take this team anywhere at this point, because I think we saw this year that he his rigidity and, you know, a, a lot of the terrible decisions that he made as far as like talent evaluation and lineup consideration really cost the Knicks a lot. You know, I but I do think that with a better coach, a lot of the players on the Knicks, like the I think their depth as far as like having championship level depth without the, the pieces at the top is maybe better than we think. You know, I, I think that they're really building something with this young core uh, with a bunch of versatile players that can shoot, that can play defense, that can do a little bit of everything, you know, and that's, those are the sort of qualities that you want. Um, but I'm, I'm with you as far as that being, you know, a key to what's going on for the, for the top two teams right now. I mean, if you need a better, you know, representation, like Mark Jackson took this same Warriors core all those years ago to like 50 wins or whatever. And that was like, Oh wow, what a big win. And then the next year, Steve Kerr, who's a much better coach came in and the team was a dominant, you know, champion the next year. Um, So that's the sort of difference that the elite coaching can make. And that like team symbiosis, which like, the Warriors started building to Jackson's credit under him. And then by the time that Kerr got there and was like the final piece to, you know, put it all together, like the, the clay and Steph and Draymond already like knew each other and were ready to kind of like put it all together. Even though Draymond still needed like a David Lee injury to get in the way for him to finally like get his chance to shine and everything else. Like that's how, Golden State was able to like get it together and win that first championship. Um, and I think that's I mean, look, they are they are the modern NBA dynasty. Like, there's no debating it. They are, you know, there, there's no other team like them right now. You know, the, the closest thing that we could say in recent years was probably the Spurs, but you know, theirs was a little more spread out uh as far as what their dynasty, you know, they took about a 15, 16 year time frame. Uh, where they just kind of got in like every three years or so. I mean, really, I think I think what we're seeing with the Warriors is about the closest thing to like the 90s Bulls right now. So obviously that's an, a fantastic model that, you know, everybody's saying, well, let's just be like the Warriors. Yeah, well, that's not super easy. Uh, you know, and, and they had a lot of perfect circumstances that fell into place. But I do think that the the coaching combined with the familiarity and the low turnover and like especially this year, the fact that they were willing to – be patient and, you know, take those couple years where they said, all right, you know, Clay's hurt, Steph's hurt, you know, Draymond's clearly nicked up a couple of these years, whatever, uh, being willing to be patient and say, you know what, I, I we think that they still have enough in the tank that we should just start building out complementary pieces around them. And, you know, obviously it helps getting two lottery picks in a super stacked draft and being able to take uh, Moody and Kamingo like that to have is just, luxury bench depth you know uh but they've you know over the years done really well with drafting guys like looney making the really honestly kind of ballsy trade of trading d'angelo russell to take back andrew wiggins making the contract figure that he was with the relatively low production he was at the time uh and you know that netted them some extra picks including the uh you know the pick that got them um kuminga which is awesome but like you know it's it it's just those little things where they they had the right amount of faith and had the right amount of steadfastness to keep that core together because they understood 
the importance of continuity and what that means for a team. And I do think the Knicks are starting to do that a little bit too. Our first major indication will be how they approach like RJ Barrett. Um, and, you know, the, these first guys that are going to require extensions and stuff to see how committed they are to keeping this core together that's played pretty well together. But again, that is that is more for tomorrow's show uh, that we'll, we'll get a little more in depth there. But I definitely I agree with you. I think the like overall team IQ continuity and good coaching to kind of tie it all together is extremely important and has been extremely important to these two finals teams. Yeah, so this is a conversation we will continue tomorrow, and we'll get into more specifics in terms of how the New York Knicks are, are hitting on each of these marks. But to Alex's point, I think they're – it might not seem like it, but they're along this path. Like, they're, they're actually – they're taking the right steps, even if everything isn't going perfectly for the first time in a long time. But that's for tomorrow's episode for today. He's Alex. I'm Gavin. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and, of course, on YouTube. Until next time, be good. Peace out.